And welcome everyone to Small Biz Matters at a remote location here in the lovely suburb of Thornley. We're talking to the founders, the directors, the people who are passionate about a particular organisation called Dragon Claw. Now, why have I got this on the show today? Well, for starters, it is actually uh, rheumatoid, International Week of Rheumatoid Arthritis. And I'm sure all of you out there can imagine what that uh, particular disease does because there's a lot of people who it touches. You might have family or friends, you might have work colleagues, and it's surprising the number of people in the community who actually suffer from this disease. As a result, in Australia, we have a wonderful group of people who have organised a charity, got it together, and uh, advocates for this particular disease, trying to fight for, I guess not necessarily the rights, but making life easier and better for those who suffer from the condition. I want to welcome Michael Gill, Susan Hughes, and Terry Jones, who are all, am I right to say you guys are board members, is that correct, or your founders, or just people who are passionate about it? We're executive directors executive, and on the board. Executive directors on the board. Now, Susan, let's start with you. Why are you so passionate about this particular condition, and tell me a little bit about Dragon and claw and what it does. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I was in a lot of pain and I was very scared and I googled it and that scared me even more. <laughs> so I found it very lonely and very stressful and very low on resources despite the fact that I was living in a middle-class demographic of the south coast in Berry, mm -hmm. and I had to drive an hour to see a rheumatologist. There were no rheumatoid nurses and I didn't know anybody who had it because it's an invisible disability. I was in pain all the time and I had nowhere to go and no one to talk to. And is this fairly typical of those people who are your members? Um, is this things that, that, that it, what sort of impact does this have on not just your general life, but the community as a whole? Susan, what, do, what, what how do you feel that this impacts not just on your life, but those around you? I lived on my own, so it certainly impacted my family who had spent a lot more time coming to help me call for ambulances when my hips went on me and I had to have hip replacements. I was crawling, literally. Uh, so I couldn't look after myself. So it was a big drain on my family, let alone the ripple effect to our, my grandchildren, etc. Let's talk about those people who suffer at a younger age, obviously. You know, we think of this as a, as a disease that suffers people who have are diagnosed later in life, but that's not the reality of it. There's quite a lot of juvenile um, arthritis out there, isn't there, Susan? Yes, and we've got a member who was diagnosed when she was a teenager at French's Forest High, I think it was, somewhere in the Northern Beaches. And she used to stand, Beck will tell you, she'd stand on the bus, but because it's invisible and you can't see people suffering from pain, the bus would be full and she'd be hanging on with grim death to get to school and uh, and go to the toilet and burst into tears. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously difficult. Like you said, I think it's important that everybody understands it's quite... Um, an unseen condition and it can affect young and old. Now, um, Michael, let's turn to you. You've got a, a huge um, a swathe of skills and experiences that you bring to this organisation from your being a strategic director at Cisco, for example. What got you involved in this and what sort of skills did you bring when you became involved in the charity? Well, firstly, I came down with rheumatoid arthritis myself uh, one Christmas day. And uh, on that particular day, I got out of bed and I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't put my shoes on, I couldn't clean my teeth, I couldn't have a shower. And it got worse from then on. Um, um, and uh, so it was a very rude shock and then I lost, uh, I was made redundant because I couldn't work. Um, and uh, this happens to a lot of people. Um, and uh, as Susan was saying, you, know, you cruise the web and you find some material. But it became very clear to me that there's a gap between a 10 minute doctor consultation 
and you having to live the rest of your life. Put it another way, um, if you add up all the clinicians that I see, uh, that would be three or four days a year of seeing clinicians, but who's going to look after me for the next 361 days? Mm. Me and those people who care for me. Um, and this led to the establishment of Dragon Claw. Um, and my background didn't directly relate, but one of the things I wanted to do was to make sure that Dragon Claw wasn't dependent on government funding and also to be fairly independent in terms of the traditional charity dollar. The Dragon Claw is very different now, but that's how we work. So I went around and knocked on corporate Australia in the middle, uh, middle-sized company range. And um, as a result, we have now we have 15 corporate partners. Um, and Dragon Claw doesn't charge fees. And did you, as a, as a result of those experiences and those connections, is that really what you were able to bring to the table in, when, in getting involved in this organisation? Your connections, but also your, your um, understanding of strategic development and, and inputting that into the charity. Is it very different, the corporate strategic development or the charity strategic development, or are those skills just universal? Well, Dragonclaw set up as a business. It's got the business discipline. It was never set up as a charity with people who come and go. Um, there's a, um, we don't have a CEO. We have a, a, a cephalous structure, which is uh, four executives that run the show. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we have very formal minutes, and we have detailed accounts, um, which I looked at um, every week. Um, everyone's highly accountable, so we have key plans going on. We don't have people just drifting in and out, being useful or useless, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, the, I think the issue really is that there's a movement globally on patient centricity, about patients taking more interest, more control of their conditions. Um, and um, Dragon Claw is an expression of that, whereas other charities in the, in the uh, health promotion space are set up by well-meaning individuals and backed up by clinicians. We have well-meaning individuals, but we do not have clinicians. Why, why is that? Is that, is that? That's not obviously a strategic decision. That was more you're setting this up and then you're going to bring that the was a deliberate, No, it's a deliberate choice. We want to be patient-centric. So Dragon Claw is about patients helping patients um, and we work in parallel to support clinicians but we don't talk for, for clinicians we I talk see. for patients so your advocacy is purely about being patient-centric yeah which is very rare in the Australian space mm. and growing in the European space could I ask you at what point during this because um, I'm quite fascinated by the way that these these charities, I guess so it's, it's a group of like-minded people coming together and wanting to do something they're very passionate about and helping and advocating. But at what point in that process did you realise that, well, this is going to be our focus? Was it quite early on or did you have everything out on butcher paper and then go, nah, no, I think six months down the track we're going to do this? Well, I suppose, rudely, I had a, vi- a vision from day one uh, as of the setup. And I convinced others to sign up on that. But mm. as we are growing and maturing, people have done putting their own ideas into space, and uh, which is the way it should be. Um, and Dragon Claw has expanded into areas that I hadn't envisaged, for example. 
um, such as the Aboriginal video projects that we've just done. Now that, that segues quite nicely into you, Terry. You bring to the table a lot of experience with um, advertising, communications and marketing. Um, firstly, just explain to me why, why did you get involved and um, what, what do you, what skills and uh, I guess experiences from your corporate life do you bring to the organisation? Yes, I, um, I retired probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I do a little bit of freelance work, uh, but I was looking for something else to do. And I wasn't 100% sure. I'm not a great one for standing on the side of a road and uh, maybe selling uh, uh, flags or something like that. And then uh, fortunately, I met uh, Susan at the Hornsby Chamber of Commerce. It was one of those after uh, business hour uh, presentations. And we had a chat. Uh, Susan was saying that they were looking for somebody that could uh, provide some marketing expertise into, mm. their, into their communications. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, well, that seems to be a very good match to what I, my experience is. Uh, so uh, I joined and started to get involved in a number of projects. I think probably my main task at the moment is just trying to ensure a consistency in our message and our look and feel to use marketing terminology mm. so that everything that we put out uh, um, conveys the same type of message and reinforces what uh, Mike and Susan are talking about in terms of being, being very sort of um, um, patient uh, focused rather than anything else and being able to provide people with information uh, that's going to be of value to them uh, and, and add to their lives. So right from the beginning, um, I'm getting the impression that this is, um, are you the only organisation that represents rheumatoid arthritis patients nationally? Would I be right in saying that, Richard? There are a number of organisations that uh, uh, talk about rheumatoid arthritis and, and all the other arthritis. Mm -hmm. There's 110. Um, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, so we only focus on rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and JIA, which is the juvenile variety. So in that space, if you take all the people who have heart attacks and add them to all the people who have lung cancer, we outnumber that group by a large extent. Wow, that's, uh, that's huge. So we are highly specialised. Uh -huh. We don't do a shotgun approach like the others do. Mm -hmm. and, and if you visit our website, we go on for ages and ages about what sort of stuff we've got to offer. And so hitting the ground running, obviously, um, Terry, your main problem, I think, at the beginning is going to be you have this huge, um, I guess, audience that you need to communicate with. Where do you start with such um, a relatively small organisation to grow in capacity to get the message out there to show that you offer support or, you know, you've got, you need memberships to have numbers, all those issues that I guess businesses face as well. You need the numbers to... Well, that, that's right, and I, and I think our first task, uh, which we've just about completed, is to look very closely at the website because we are primarily uh, an online service. So we're really ensuring that the website is doing everything that we want it to do to enable people to access it easily and to access the information that they are looking for in particular. Just and like these, just just like Richard and Susan had at the beginning of their journey when they couldn't, uh, yeah. Correct, exactly so. They, they didn't have that one uh, that one portal to go to uh, and have all the information. That's about a combination of uh, some relatively technical information uh -huh. uh, because we recognise some people want to dive a little bit deeper into their disease and understand it a little bit more. There's also a lot about diet and about lifestyle. There's a, a forum where people can start talking about uh, the issues that they have mm -hmm. and begin to understand that other people are in exactly the same situation and maybe have uh, some experience that can help them uh, overcome some issues they may have. Uh, the task from there, if we can get the website right, which it is now, 
then what we're looking to do is to actually increase the membership of that web, web website. It's free, uh, obviously, uh, and so we're going to be using uh, a lot of social media in order to get that message out uh, to people to say, yeah, come and join. We've made the, the membership registration a lot easier. Uh, we're putting forward a much more convincing story why you should become a member. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking to really increase that membership level to a significant uh, to a significant amount. Susan, do you think when you were shopping around, shopping, bad expression, when you were look, when you were Googling your experiences at the beginning, had you stumbled upon or had you found a website like this? No. Would, would that but would that have helped you in general? Oh heavens, I would have joined, put my hand up straight away, yeah. joined the forum and said can I can I please meet with you? Can we talk? Can we have a phone? Can I engage? Is that is that what it's about? It's about creating a sense of engagement and a sense of belonging and not feeling like you're alone. The isolation and the fear were profound. And I just, I, I reached out to a generalist arthritis association um, just to connect with people. Mm. Um, but the majority of them didn't have rheumatoid, which is the one that has the, is an autoimmune disease where our joints swell um, in terms of what is rheumatoid arthritis, it's an autoimmune disease mm -hmm. and we have regular blood tests mm -hmm. and it can affect our whole body. And so it's very different when you're talking. You meet somebody who's got rheumatoid arthritis and immediately it's about, well, where are you on the spectrum? Are you on infusions or are you on subcutaneous injections or are you just taking pills? And you need to have those discussions with people, right? You, you do. You need to have that, that chat and be able to share those life experiences that you're going through. And the power of the group, as we all know, with any organisation is profound, significant, and it empowers us to help us improve our health and lifestyles so that we're not a drain on our family and friends. And I think that's the main thing for us is to be a community where we engage in online through forums. But we're also encouraging now rubbing shoulders in groups. We're starting our first group up on, on, on the mid-north coast where our chairperson lives. And we also have a patient advisory and carer advisory committee of which I chair. And we call it the PAC team. And we have members on our PAC team who, are the, who provide the important feedback into how we manage our organisation because ultimately, as Michael had the vision, that the patients and the carers are the ones that will be managing it. And it's really important for us to have that succession plan. So we've got young ones, carers, and but ranging from the three diseases. I may add the ones that are volunteering and being involved in our patient advisory committee, where we meet on the phone and occasionally socially, are all, it's, it's so ironic, it's typical, they're busy people. They're directors, they're, they're um, like um, Beck, who I talked about, who couldn't stand, you know, couldn't sit on the bus. Mm. Um, Going to school. Yes, and she's now a very successful fashion designer. However, the, the journey to get the right medication and the right support um, is long and slow. Would you not agree, Michael? Oh, absolutely. It's rather more complicated than most other types of diseases. But we must be doing something right because we're in 13 countries now and we've just appointed... Uh, recently our first ambassador and that's in Canada. That's phenomenal. Um, it's uh, in, in relatively short amount of time. I mean, how long has the organisation been going? Four years. That's fantastic. So, um, yeah, we're, um, we're an online only, so we don't do lamington drives, you know, <laughs> and, and lotteries and things like that. Uh -huh. And that was a deliberate choice. We don't want to look or feel like any other charity. Mm -hmm. And um, our fastest growing area is the United States. Wow. 
Interesting uh, enough. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, I guess, the structure. And, and for those of you who are in small business who are thinking about becoming involved in a charity, where do you slot in with this sort of format? You're listening to Small Biz Matters. We will be back after this. And welcome back to the program. We are speaking with the founders, the directors. I'm not going to get that that particular um, nomenclature correct, but the people who are passionate about Dragon Claw. And it is, of course, International Week of Rheumatoid Arthritis, which is why we're talking about this organisation. Um, it supports uh, this particular charity, supports half a million Australian sufferers. And just before the break, um, Michael was telling us about the fact that it's you're actually in, did you say... 11 countries 13 13 countries including the fastest growing which is which is us is it is the us just the fastest growing with everything when it comes to charities or no, is no. it they've just got the more sufferers of everything or are they more tuned in why is it do you think the us has expanded so well rapidly? i'll surprise you even further the second fastest is india oh wow um the us is attracted to us or people have been signing up to dragon claw um i think because in the us there's uh, very few charities that focus to the depth that we do. And the other thing is that um, charities there are sort of almost big businesses mm. because they sell patient information and they do all sorts of things there, which is quite legal. Um, and we don't do anything like that. No, of course not, because we're bound by efficacy and, and, and you know, and morals. <laughs> really? Are you serious? They, they've actually yes. developed a bit of a bad reputation because they're working together with pharmaceuticals. Well, the other thing is that in the States, um, p- people have horrendous problems if they become unemployed because they don't have insurance mm. and they can't get medical treatment. And so they are searching for cheap, suitable treatment, so to speak, and Dragon Claw seems to fit within that to give them some guidance. And, and guidance, exactly. And that's, I guess, one of the founding principles that you've got there is because you're all about patient um, advocacy and just all about the patient's needs that you're providing that um, yeah, support. Yeah, patients talking to patients yeah, basically yeah. is what exactly, we do. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the um, the way that this came about. Um, obviously, like with all fabulous charities, it's people coming together because they're, they're passionate about it. Um, in your case, uh, a sufferer, exactly, and finding the debilitating nature of the disease. Can you explain what it's like as a business person walking into this role? Um, what what sort of how you how you bring people together, and then how it just it get formed in the beginning? I'm speaking on behalf of say a business who wants to get involved in a particular um, subject that they're really passionate about. But why you know how do they start? Where do they start? Where does this even begin? The journey. So most charities approach this subject with a hand out. They're asking for support. Mm. We tend not to do that. Um, We're looking for a partnership arrangement. So with our 15 commercial partners, we will do things for them and they will do things for us. Could you go into a little bit more detail with that? How does that, um, and this might be a quick question for you, Terry, because you're coming Mm. at it from a marketing perspective. Are you offering them the opportunity to use um, the name Dragon's Claw to say that they support the organisation. Is that where the partnerships come in? Correct, that's right. That's, yep. uh, that's one of the primary things. It, sh- it shows that they are uh, giving back to the community through some, uh, charities such as, such as ourselves. So is it actually like a sponsorship arrangement um, kind of thing? I'm not quite sure whether whether that's actually the exact term. Uh, I don't know whether there, actually, there is Punch. a term. But there is a, there is a partnership and understanding. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, we will undertake activity that they are... Um, they are passionate about as well, mm. like in, on the indigenous side in particular. 
some of the organisations that are very uh, passionate in that area and what we're doing in that area uh, complements some of the activity they are. So it's a sort of a complementary uh, relationship. I can give two other examples of narrow this down a bit. So for one of the companies, um, they do a lot of our um, marketing uh, resources for us, particularly electronic marketing. Uh-huh. And they've been very generous in that space. And for them, um, we go and brief their staff about the disease and what it happens. We help them with some of their marketing positioning because they market to the healthcare sector. Right. Um, so that's a partnership there. Mm-hmm. Um, for uh, another organisation, um, the British Medical Journal, all the way in Britain, they're one of our partners. Um, and um, they provide material to us that we need. And they also provide us some exposure and validity to the clinical world. But uh, in return, um, we do reviews for them. Reviews of articles and, and, um, and, and I've just completed a review of an article just two nights ago. Right, so when you're, when you're approaching these organisations for some sort of partnership, it needs to be quite fluid and quite flexible and you need to kind of explore ways that you can work together. It's not necessarily set in stone. Yeah, we don't beginning. want a, a classical uh, sponsorship arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if someone really wants that, we'll take it, I guess, because we'll take the money. Mm. But we would prefer to work with them for common goals. Right, okay. And, and also that... Um, because they're trying to achieve something themselves in their whatever strategy it is that they're, that they're doing as well. And, and well, in the bigger organisations, well. there's a percentage of staff that do have musculoskeletal conditions, of which rheumatoid arthritis is one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can advise them on, on how to be more sensitive about that issue and how to treat staff like that. Do you think that's their... I'm just putting my cynical hat here on this for a second. Do you think that's because they've got certain HR requirements that they're ticking boxes with and, and that you achieve that, or so be it, that's just the way that, that, that we, we work in. Can, can in the companies that we deal with, I've not come across that attitude. Um, they're very sincere, uh, they're a lot smaller, they're not the big multinational type companies. Um, and um, I, I, f- I find that the, the companies that we, we deal, with, deal with are genuinely interested in what we do. Now, without diving too much into a political rabbit hole, I did <laughs> want to ask you about government funding and where does that sit? Is it, it's, I get the feeling that um, when we become involved in organisations that it automatically becomes a fight or a, um, I guess a, a, a way of trying to get as much money out of the pot as possible. Is that one of the reasons that you've worked more with partnerships in industry rather than in government and not even tried to rely on that at all? Partly. I mean, I, I've never liked the idea of walking around with your hat open and collecting change. I don't like the idea of being reliant on annual government funding to run the organisation because it stops. It usually happened under Tony Abbott and a whole lot of people went out of business. Mm. Um, we've accepted our first um, uh, funds from government for a project, not to run the organisation. So we had a particular project which we got partial funding from and we got it the rest of the funding from the commercial world. Right, I see. Um, and that's the first time we've ever taken government funding. And so apart from that, you're providing all of this using your relationships with business and, and, and just basically pure advocacy. Um, let's talk a little bit with you, Susan, about where the name came about because I think it's an awesome name. I think there's a lot of small businesses out there go, oh, I wish I could have that sort of creativity. Where did it come from? It came from my fellow sufferer over here, Michael, who might like to... Um, explain where it came from but my interpretation is important as a sufferer is that 
the dragon scratches inside. So you can't see the dragon scratching around my body when I'm talking to you at a chamber of commerce, but I'm suffering. Mm. Um, I'm taking the right medications, but I'm still worried about when's the next medication or whatever. And again, it depends on where we are with the spectrum of the suffering. Mm. Um, and it also flares up like a dragon. Mm. And it flared up with me where I lost both my hips. You would have seen me, Alexia, mm-hmm. walking around with sticks and you know, mm. crawling on the ground bone on bone with flares. So one of the biggest things for me is to, to learn to tame that dragon within so that I avoid the flares, so I don't have stress. So I'm, I do things in life where I can manage my stress and listen to my body and learn. So tell me about that, the website and the way that you communicate that. Oh, it's so important in these organisations that there's not only advocacy and there's not only support, but there's actually communication between the members. How do you facilitate that in the website itself? This might be a quick question for you, Terence. Uh, we, have a, we have a forum, yeah. a member forum, and it enables people to, um, to talk literally amongst themselves. So might somebody raise a topic, and then you'll see a trail of conversation of various people talking about their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's probably over 30, 40 topics running through at different stages over the last couple of years. So that's a that's an encouraging area. We want to make people more even more aware of that forum. Mm-hmm. And indeed, I'd kind of like to see it as being one of the main things of the website is this ability to talk to each other. Uh, as you say, it's always better to talk to somebody who's also suffering because you get a better understanding of the issues. Mm. Um, the second area is we have a very extensive uh, video library. Mm-hmm. And we're slowly building that up as well because, as we all know, uh, a video works uh, far better than the written word. That's what they keep telling us in small business. Correct. Video right. content is king. It, it, it is because <laughs> you can get information over so much more quickly mm. than, uh, than, than with pure copy. Uh, if you're using uh, patients to talk as well, it makes it more believable, more credible, and get people to have a greater empathy to what you're trying to do. So we're slowly building that li- library up. I think there's a couple of things we probably want to do with it in the sense of make it easier to um, access particular topics. So in terms of a search function, to get more technical, um, is to ensure that people can reach the topics they want perhaps a little bit quicker than they are at the moment. So those are the two main areas that we're trying to get uh, an increased engagement. And hopefully we'll get to the situation where the forum, people are posting their own videos on it. Uh, yeah. We've, of course, got uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, we need to uh, ramp up, both in terms of the number of followers, but obviously the content marketing of that as well. And interestingly, uh, LinkedIn, uh, I think, is going to be a very important part of the business uh, environment as well. Talk to me about that. That sounds quite unique because, obviously, if you're in small business and you're trying to connect and grow your, um, you know, grow your connections and your notoriety, you do it in LinkedIn. Mm. Where does the charity sit in that, Terry? Well, it's, it's, it's about partners. Uh, it's about getting them, them involved in well in it so that we can actually talk about them yeah. within our LinkedIn uh, connections. Mm. And uh, having business connections, particularly based on the model that we're, we're approaching, uh, expanding our uh, business's understanding of who we are and what we do, hopefully might be in a situation where we get more partners coming through as well. Yeah, because it's an interesting technique of advertising, isn't it? Definitely. Yes, I, mean, I suppose that, you know, people see LinkedIn as a business-to-business mm. environment, and it is primarily, obviously, and you know, Facebook is the consumer. So as a charity, you'd go, well, sure, you're going to Facebook all the time. But I think LinkedIn is a, has, a, has a slightly different role to play, and I'd probably suggest that most businesses should think about them. There are quite a lot of forums on LinkedIn, that we, we can participate in and influence other people. So 
let's see pharmaceuticals. This uh, I haven't looked at it, but it's probably a fairly uh, vibrant uh, pharmaceutical forum mm -hmm. within LinkedIn. We could be in there talking, advising, uh, showing the uh, patient aspect of some of the issues that may be talking. Alexi, we've got some other aspects too of what we're doing that is fairly unique. Um, the first, the first is we're just about to release a software app on, on smartphone called Maxine. And Maxine is the first in the world to, uh, to advise a patient, a person using Maxine, about whether or not they need to go and see a doctor. Wow. So it's almost, test. is it asking a set of questions and then you say, well, I'm at this stage and it, I don't want to say diagnosis, but it's giving them... No, it doesn't diagnose, it warns. Uh -huh. And there's a whole series of particular measures around muscle tone and uh, muscle strength that uh, provide the, the metrics for that. That's one innovation. And if we can release that, that'll be uh, a world first. And we've sort of, we've done a prototype, it's, it's running. Um, the second thing is that um, um, through our partners, we've released artificial reality or augmented reality is a formal term, where um, if you go and see, uh, let's see, we see about 40% uh, or 50% of rheumatologists in this country have this feature now. So the rheumatologist or the patient can simply wave their uh, smartphone over the Dragon Claw logo and immediately they'll get three or four options coming up on their phone. They can visit the website, they'll see a video, and they'll get some information about the particular condition, but they get a three-dimensional, rotating, uh, interactive, uh, real-life image of the bone structure of the body, and they can hone down to their particular joint and look at that. It's not been done before. So that's one of the innovations that we've brought to the table, and we've got a whole set of others which obviously relate to money and time for a volunteer organisation. So speaking in terms of all those innovations and all that time, that, that obviously, it, there is a money side to things. So how do you balance the being part of an organisation, obviously giving your time hugely to what is potentially millions of people globally um, and, and balancing that all up with, with um, what you're trying to achieve and long term and, and all those questions. I guess it's the same as running a small business except that it's not profitable. <laughs> yeah, constant struggle. We're always short of money, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no such thing as a rich charity, they're doing their job. Um, and um, month to month, it's, uh, it's living on a sniff of an oil rig. It's mm. been our life for four years. I can't see it changing. And, and, you're ha and that's obviously, that's, that's it. That's just, that's what, you know, that's the... Oh, we, no, I mean, in America, charities get an entrepreneur who hands them a lump of money every year. That's a very common way of running. Uh, but there's also the expectation of profitability by what you were describing before. Often, mm. often, but not always. In Australia, we don't have that culture. I would love to have a company or an individual who can afford to keep us running for five years. You mm. know, a couple of hundred thousand a year would be great. Mm. One of our partners has that. Um, and um, it's a particular company who just puts in $100,000 into their account every year and says, go for it. Mm -hmm. And they do. Yeah, well, that, that is the perfect world, isn't it? I, yeah. And I think that that's... But I think what... what everyone here and what in a lot of organizations that do operate like charities that are brought to the table is more of um, experience skills connections and that's the value rather than you know starting a charity with no idea what's going on and just a hundred thousand dollars pot i think from my perspective if i was setting up a business i'd rather have the skills and the nuance and the understanding um do you think that's a, a better place to be 
Oh, absolutely. But when I first started, I went around to a number of charities to explore how they set up uh-huh. and what were their pitfalls. Most of them couldn't articulate it, surprisingly enough. Um, and others were so disorganised that they didn't really know where they were going, left, right or centre. Um, and uh, one in particular was very useful, but I found that the, it, the communication between charities and the sharing of knowledge between charities doesn't exist. That's very interesting that you should say that. So you're finding that the collaboration, is it because it's a competitive field or is it because um, people are time poor and don't have the opportunity to oh, it's competitive. They think they, we are going to steal their breakfast mm. donation, but we're not in the donation market, so we don't steal breakfast. That's quite interesting. We work for our dollars. And um, I think your question was really important around engagement and... Um, and our approach about having the skill set and the passion and the engagement as opposed to just kicking off. And we've slowly developed trusted relationships and it starts slowly and builds up. So the, that's my background is advocacy and networking and developing trust that you, you will do what you say you'll do and what they ask of you mm. and you maintain contact and coffee. And I have to say before we finish off here, the last thing I want to say here is we all say, are we having fun? We're volunteers. Mm. Uh, our, our brains, we keep learning, we keep sharing. I have to say, this is the best team I've ever worked with. I'm not collecting a wage. I'm not accountable to four or five different departments. Um, I do what I'll say I'll do because I'm with a team of like-minded people who want to keep learning and growing and make a difference. Well, it's absolutely fantastic advice to those who are thinking about you know, putting their foot in the door and offering their services for an organisation such as yours. Terry? I think... Um, um Think of a small business perspective uh, and a charity. Uh, the requirements of setting both up, I think, are very similar. I think you do need a passion for it. Uh, I think a lot of small businesses uh, come out as somebody who has a passion for a particular thing or an expertise. Uh, they're not business people, but they have that expertise. But I think what's important with both is setting it up right at the start in the right way, mm. determining what is, and again, another marketing terminology, value proposition. You know, what. Uh, uh, what are we about? What value do we give to a certain group? And I think a lot of charities start up without that thought in their mind. It is about selling. Uh, you don't like the term to use, but yeah, you're trying to show what you can provide people, so you're selling it. Mm. So you need to have that value proposition. Uh, you need to have a position in the market to understand where you sit in comparison to all your other uh, charities. Because yes, there's an element of competition, not necessarily just for money, it's a, a competition for awareness, for understanding, all those sort of things. So it's just like a business in that sense. Yeah. And you do need, if you want it to be sustainable, a rigour to it, uh, both in terms of you, the way you use your time, how you use your money, and getting everything in the right, in the right order. So very, very similar. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating, it's the same journey, isn't it? Um, it is, yes. For not such a different um, outcome if you're passionate about what it is that you do. Correct, yes, and small, particularly small business, there is that passion, uh, certainly with the network. Everybody there has a passion for their mm. business because it's something about them as a personality. They're not working for a corporate for with a job there. It's almost a, not quite a vocation, but, you know, it has that feel about it. Um, take me through, Michael, what would be your top tips for someone? Or what are the pitfalls? What, what are some good um, mistakes that, that you guys have made in the last, in the first four years of starting up that you would impart on someone else who was thinking about undertaking something similar? Sure, the first, I'll give both a tip and a pitfall. The first tip is have a business plan, mm. um, the, and which we do. 
Um, the pitfalls are being too ambitious. Mm. We're way too ambitious. <laughs> well, as, in, as in you just want all the money? Well, no, we wanted to be this big. We ended up being this big. You know, <laughs> yeah. we, our growth rate was less than we wanted it to be. A realistic Because we're all volunteers. I mean, that's yes. volunteers tend to go on holidays and things like yeah. that, which is a real shame. And anyway. get sick. And get sick. And get sick. And, oh, that's yes, right. in this instance, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Global domination wasn't quite... Just another four years. Just another four years. <laughs> another four years will be there. Quite yeah. right. Okay. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, the, some of the other pitfalls is are uh, not establishing a, a, a system within the organisation to record the money and the activities and who's doing what and where, so that they, you're accountable. Mm. So your accountability strain goes along. Um, not, not. Um, I mean, the hardest thing about a volunteer organisation is is keeping everyone happy, um, stroking their egos, um, and because you can't fire anyone, you know, and and you can't really say you've done a terrible job because they might leave. Yes, yeah, so there's yeah. no unfair dismissals, but people can yeah. certainly dismiss themselves unfairly, yes. and when they leave an organisation and leave you with quite a few you know bumps and bruises as they yeah. extract themselves, which is something that small businesses protected against, yeah. but not necessarily. There's a couple charities. of other points too that. Yeah, it's very easy to go down a technological hole, get yourself stuck in the wrong platform or in the wrong area or using the wrong software. Mm. Um, and we did that. We unfortunately did that. And I think it's, it's a costly and dangerous mistake. And it's very hard to get good advice about that. Um, um, I think the, the, the final thing is, for me anyway, and the others may chip in on this one, is, is, um, uh, is not having some thought about where you want to be in three or four years' time. That relates to the business plan, but you've got to say to yourself, where do you want to take the organisation in three or four years' time? Where would you like to be? And I think if you don't have that, you don't got nothing to steer by. Mm, a vision. Mm. Well, um, I think we've plumb run out of time, but what I wanted to say, uh, just as an observer, um, having interviewed many, many people over the last few years, is that what, what we can see here is a passion and a cohesion between all of the organisers, which I'm sure that there are not just small businesses, but charities and even government organisations, which would which would be um, um, quite, they would admire what you've achieved here. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for joining us here on Small Biz Matters. I know that small businesses would have learned a lot from today's discussion. Now, where can people find out more information, Susan? www.dragonclaw.net or email info at dragonclaw.net or I'll put myself on the chopping block here. They can call me. We're always looking for people who'd like to engage with us and share their skills with us. And my number is 0421 459 747 for those in Australia. And don't forget everyone that it's free to join and free to be a participant in the forum and get some support from others who are suffering or perhaps some um, being involved with those who are suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters here on Triple H 100.1 FM. Join us online www.smallbizmatters.com.au for up to 150 podcasts for you to listen to at your leisure plus 70 on itunes and don't forget about our event calendar where you can find out all that's going on in the sydney area for your business thanks for joining us everyone we'll be back next week <laughs>